so we got two chapters left in John, the 20th chapter. And because we're going on a trip here, we wanted to get it done. So, and then of course, we're gonna start one John after this, which I think is a perfect segue into other books because it keeps the thought of John going. And uh, I just maybe want to jump down to the end really quick. I'm just going to read verse 29 first. Jesus said to him, you believe, oh, no, no. Where did John said that there's enough evidence, or the last 30 verse, 31st verse. But what is written here is enough evidence for readers to be absolutely convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And thus your belief will echo the Zoe life, the same life that God has unveiled. It's unveiled in his name. He is the author of life. So that's what this whole book is about. It's, and it starts off, of course, in the beginning was the word, right? And the word was with God. This is who Christ is. And he's trying to reveal it through only a few stories. There's not a lot of miracle stories in John. There's a few, uh, 21 chapters, but he doesn't go over miracle after miracle. He selects specific stories for specific miracles and some prophetic acts that Jesus did to, to reveal Christ, right? So verse, verse one says, the first day of the Sabbath, that tripped me up right there. This is because it's plural. The first day of Sabbath, Maria from Magdala and Maria, Mary, Miriam, all the same name, came to the tomb while it was still very early and saw the, the stone was not rolled away. It was lifted up, just like lifted up off the grave, just like uh, Jesus being lifted up. So I did contact Francois about the Sabbath and it's, it's, it's the, it means, it means the first day of the week and it's the way it's written. That's why it looks plural, but I, I could read this explanation, but it's a little bit on the long side, but it's wonderful. Anyway, uh, da, da, da. verse three. So Peter and the other disciples immediately went to, oh no, so 20. She left the tomb at once and ran to find Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus was so fond of. And said to them, now, you know what's interesting about that is we have believe that's John. He says the disciple that Jesus is so fond of or Jesus, or the disciple that Jesus loved. That's where we need to come to understanding that he is fond of you. Again, we need to believe it for ourselves that he is not only fond of John, but he is fond of each and every one of you. Isn't it interesting how John had such a revelation of the love of God that he knew that Jesus was fond of him and liked him and wanted to hang out with him just like he does you. And he said to them, take uh, they have taken the Lord out of the grave, and we have no idea where they put him. Mary, of course, fears uh, grave robbers. She did not suspect his resurrection. That's interesting. She did not expect his resurrection. So Peter and the other disciples immediately ran, went to the tomb. They were both running, but the other brother, which is John, outran Peter and arrived at the tomb first. It's kind of funny. He says he stood he stooped down and observed with careful attention the strips of linen clothes lying there, yet he did not enter. So in other words, he, out, he run, outruns Peter, but then he goes to the tomb and he just sits there and looks. He looks in. He doesn't enter. Then Simon Peter also arrived and went straight into the tomb and took a long look at the grave clothes lying there. He also noticed the clothes that were, were uh, that the, cloth, the cloth that was wrapped around the head of Jesus was not lying with the other strips of linen clothes, but neatly rolled up separately. In other words, God is showing us here, or showing them, because this is a sign that is not grave robbers that took his body. I mean, if they were trying to steal the, the body of Jesus, why would they even remove the, the cloths from their head, or his grave clothes? They wouldn't remove it. But he sees 
the clothes are laying there and someone meticulously folded up the head covering. And I'm sure there's other revelation about that that I, at this point, do not know, and that's okay. For another day. When the other disciple who arrived at first also went in, and he saw, and I love this, and was convinced. He saw and was convinced. He was convinced about what Jesus said. It was as if they could not fully grasp that this was indeed what was predicted in the scripture. They saw it, he was convinced, but they're still mowing over the scriptures, the prophecies of the resurrection of Christ. And they're still trying to get their hand, hand on it. That Jesus was destined to rise up out of the death, out of death. And of course, there's a lot of scriptures, and I'm sure I know my wife, when she wrote the Bible study, put a lot of that in there. You can read that on your own. The disciples went away to face their own thoughts. Now think about it. So they ran in. They, Peter says, took a long look at the situation. They both looked and saw an empty tomb. Another version says, the angel said, he's not here. Right? He's not here. And the cloths, the clothes that wrapped his body and meticulously, especially the head covering, meticulously wrapped up. No, nobody stealing anything would do that. They would just get the heck out of there or they steal the clothes too. And he says he was convinced. It says John was convinced and they went away. They weren't crying. They didn't see they were sad. They went to just think about and try to comprehend what was going on. Verse 11, but Maria, or Mary Magdala, remained facing the tomb weeping. Now, she's so engulfed in grief that she can't even comprehend anything. Then she stooped down and gazed into the tomb. And I love this. And he saw, and she saw two, not just messengers. Remember, angel means messengers. But two celestial messengers. These are angels from the other world. Dressed in dazzling white. And seated, one at the head, another at the feet where Jesus' body have been been lying in other words she gazes in and there's two celestial beings blazing white sitting where jesus is being laid maybe if you've ever been to israel they have i think if i recall right they have a little place where they lay the body it's like just like like almost like a bench and they let it rot until the bones are left and then the family comes later and puts it in the bone box so it's a little bench there so one was sitting on the other was sitting on there so which makes me think of why two why couldn't god just send one and two same i don't know if they're the same but when jesus ascended these two two messengers are there again and the other only two other messengers that are in the scripture that i can think of in the new testament are elijah i'm not saying they are because i don't know elijah and moses and it's always to testify of Christ. Remember in, in uh, Matthew 17, it says when they appeared and they were brilliant, remember Jesus was transfigured in his brilliant light. So, and the other two messengers in John, I think it's Luke 9 I read, were both also just like that. And they were talking about his departure. Now, here we have two, two of the same kind of beings. This is, I'm not saying they're them, I'm just saying there's two celestial messengers. And they come to what? Testify. Of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And just remember, the law and the prophets was there. Jesus says, those scriptures speak of me. Now, I love 
how God engages people with questions that he knows the answer to. They asked her, woman. Now think about this. She's grieving. She's very sad. She really loved Jesus. And she's not believing. It says John was, John was convinced, but she's not believing. She's so engulfed in grief. She sees two celestial messengers, white. And here's, her, here's what they say to her. Woman, why are you weeping? They know why she's weeping. Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. I love how God engages in questions. And she said to them, listen to this. They took my Lord away, and I do not, where, do not know where they have put him. She's not engaged with the resurrection of the prophetic. And here is two celestial messengers to testify to her of the resurrection with a question, why are you weeping? Remember, Jesus said, your weeping will turn into joy. It is, it is good that I go away. It is beneficial. I mean, he did right before this, this, you know, I think it's up, to, I think it's like chapter 12 right in there. Is all from one to 12 or right in that area is, you know, from Jesus ministry starting 12 chapters. And then the rest of it is right up to the, to the, to the Passover, to his death. I mean, all that teaching and he's teaching about the resurrection. He's teaching about dying on the cross, being lifted up. He's doing all that teaching in here. She's not believing. She sees two angels. And her question is, they, someone took him. Where is he? But she's so, probably encompassed in grief that she couldn't think straight. They asked her, woman, why are you weeping? She said, they took my Lord away. I do not know where they have put him. As they said this, she looked around and saw Jesus standing, but did not immediately recognize him. Jesus said to her, I love engages with the question, woman, why? Are you weeping? He doesn't engage her with her name. He could have. He said, Mary, right away. He does in a little bit. He said, and who are you looking for? And the whole way through John, Jesus is always talking in the prophetic, in the unseen world that is visible. And everybody's always translating that into what they could see, the flesh, the flesh carnal realm. So he's engaging her. Why are you weeping? Could have said, a woman of little, little faith. But he did. He said, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener and said, sir, have you taken him away? Please tell me where you put him so that I may fetch him. Jesus said to her, Miriam. She turned in her step and exclaimed, Rabbana, which is Aramaic for my teacher. You'll have to let go of me so that I may continue to my, fa to my father. Go and tell my friends that I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now my beautiful wife is doing a little Greek study today and that ascending means a step up. It's not the same stepping as being lifted up. It's a step up to my father. And I'll think what he says, he says to her, and he says this to us, I'm, I'm ascending, I'm stepping up to my God, Jesus says. Remember, this is 1 Corinthians 15, I believe, he says that he subject, everything is subjected to Christ, and Christ will subject it to the Father, to God. He says, I'm going to my God and to your God. Sorry, I think right here. There. 
Now listen to this. To my father and to your father, do you know your origin? Do you know where you come from? You're born from above. He's your God and he's a loving God and God is love. That's who God is. Your father is love. Your God is love. So Maria, the Magdalene, went to the disciples and announced to them, I saw the Lord, and she told them all that he told her. Now, it doesn't sound like there's any back discussion here. Otherwise, I'm sure John would have put it in. That evening, which is the same day, of the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered in a room with the doors locked. I mean, John points this out. The doors were locked because they were afraid of the Jews. Now, it's, it just brings me back to 1 John, the first John 1, where it talks about he's, he's, he's coming against kind of the, the Gnostics, the blood that Jesus was sometimes flesh, sometimes spirit, and spirit's good, flesh is bad. He says, we touched him with our hands. We beheld him, the word, which is Christ. Because they were afraid of the Jews. Suddenly, Jesus stepped into their midst and said, shalom, peace. It's a greeting. You guys know that. It's a greeting. In Hebrew, shalom. It's also goodbye, like aloha, aloha, here, aloha, goodbye. Shalom, peace. He's making a point to show us that the doors were locked. It was impossible for anyone to get in that room. Then he showed them his scarred hands and sighed, having now seen the Lord for themselves, they were exceedingly glad. Again, he repeated his salutation and said, Peace be unto you, just as the Father has commissioned me, so do now I send you. Now think about it. So he says, Shalom, and then he shows them his scars in his side. That's the first thing he does. Shows the evidence that, yes, I was crucified. I am here in the same flesh. It's been raised up. And I... I don't think we grasp the scripture. I don't grasp it. I want to. Because Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit that, that, that lived in Christ, that raised Christ from the dead, lives in us, lives in you, it will give life to your short-lived mortal body. I just think we need to tap into that scripture a little bit more. We'll give life to your flesh, not just your spirit. God loves your spirit, your soul, and your body. He paid for all of them. He's in love with the, all of you. So he says, Father has commissioned me, so now I send you. Having said this, said this, he breathed an effusion of the Spirit upon them and said, take the Holy Spirit as your companion. Remember, he said, I'm going to send the Spirit. It's going to be your close companion. Take the Holy Spirit as your companion. And of course, the analogy of all this is the same as when God breathed. Remember, Adam was, man was dust and laying there lifeless, and he breathed in the spirit of life into his nostrils. And then, of course, in the commentary, it goes into the, you know, the uh, dead bones of Ezekiel. Do they have life? You know, it's kind of funny because, hey, son of man, can those bones live? Remember, in one of the Gospels, Jesus keeps referring to himself as the son of man. The son of man, this is the son of man. The son of man. Can these bones live? And I'm not going to go through it. I'm sure most of you read it. You can read it on your own because it's good stuff. And yes, we've been, we've, 2 Corinthians, I've said this a million times, 5 says, if one man died for all, all died, and 
all have been raised up and all are new creations. Second Corinthians 5.17, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The oldest passed away. Behold, the newest come. It's not a question. It's because of the bubbers that should see. Therefore, because we're all in Christ, we've been raised up. We, most people just don't know it because they haven't heard the good news. Verse 23, he says, I'm sending you. Now he says this, if you forgive someone, someone's sins, they are forgotten. They're gone and forgotten. If you do not let go, then you are stuck with them. Anybody want to be stuck with other people's sins? Not I. So amphimi, the forgive, is to let go of, divorce. So if you divorce or let go of someone's sins and leave behind. He says in the, in the commentary, he says, in the context of what has happened on the cross and here emphasizes in the previous three verses, the basis of true forgiveness is what the death and closure that Jesus brought to whatever it was that testified against us, everything. His glorious resurrection and the companionship of the Holy Spirit as the very breath of our Zoe life are the essence and the authority of our commission, which is to announce what? To announce us, to announce mankind's redeeming says, Now think about it. If people don't know they're forgiven, their sins are held. By who? Themselves. We're to announce the good news of what God has accomplished, not going to accomplish, doesn't accomplish because you ask Jesus into your heart. He accomplished it without our help and without our permission. He accomplished it. Single-handedly, God did what no man could do. He died as you, you were included. Remember, Paul says, I was crucified with Christ. I no longer live in the life I live. I live by what I love, by the faith of the Son of God, by what God believes to be true, what God saw happen in that transaction. He saw all man. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, fell short of the glory of the Lord. Verse 24, and the same, all have been made righteous as a free gift by Jesus Christ. Sin came into the world through one man and spread to all men. Righteous came into the world by one man and spread to all men. Romans 5, read it. Good stuff. Where are we here? So why don't we just announce the good news that everybody's been reconciled and forgiven without their permission. All they got to do is just believe it. And they will confess Jesus Christ the Lord effortlessly. Homo logale, confessed. Homo, to say the same thing. As the logo says, because God knows that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we just agree with God, Jesus Christ is Lord. Anyway, back at the ranch. Verse 24, but Thomas, the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him that they had seen the Lord. But his response was, I will never believe it unless I see his nail-pierced hands and thrust my fingers into his wounds. And also my hands into his side. Ooh, that's harsh, isn't it? That's a whole lot of disbelief. And maybe he was really upset about what happened. I was telling my wife, some, someone, evil people hung my wife on a cross. I'd be pretty upset. And I might not be able to think right. But I'll give him the benefit of the doubt something was going on. But the next Sunday evening, which is, of course, to the Jewish Jewish people, that's the first day of the week. Our first day is Monday. Our first day is Sunday. We just think of Monday as the first day. But it's really Sunday on the calendar. The next Sunday evening, Jesus again just showed up in the midst, even though all the doors were locked, and greeted them with, Peace be unto you, or Shalom. 
This time Thomas was with them. Jesus immediately turned to Thomas and said to him, give me your finger. Do you imagine? Here Jesus shows up. All the doors are locked. Thomas has made a bold statement, kind of like Peter said a lot of things, right? And first thing Jesus says, he's, he's, he turns to Thomas and says, give me your finger, touch my hands so that you can see for yourself and give me your hand and thrust it into my side. Thrust it in, thrust it in to my side. Replace your skepticism, your skepticism with persuasion or faith. Notice he doesn't condemn him though. He doesn't condemn. He says, here, here's the proof. If you need it, if you need the proof, here's the proof. Without hesitation, Thomas responded to Jesus with, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you believe because you saw with your eyes. Blessed are those who believe even though they do not see. Say, I am blessed because I believe and I have not seen. Blessed am I. Right? Woohoo! You're blessed. Because you didn't see. I mean, in the physical, like he did, and yet you believe. I love this. Disciples of Jesus witnessed many more signs than the ones recorded in the book. That's very obvious because the other books have many other signs. But what is written here is enough evidence. I've written enough for any reader to be absolutely convinced that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. And thus, your belief will do what? Your belief in him will co-echo, will echo the life, the Zoe life unveiled in his name. The same life that God has that lives. And when is that Zoe life? Now. Where does it spewing out of, out of your innermost being? Rivers of rivers of, rivers of living water flowing out of you. Remember all the gifts of the Spirit. Peace, love, joy flowing out of you ever, effortlessly. The kingdom of God, uh, Romans 14, 17. It's not eating and drinking what is it it's righteousness which you are right standing with god by faith peace which is friendship is what it means i mean we have contentment and overwhelming blissful joy in the holy spirit and if we live like that the next verse says and that's both pleasing and people live like that about pleasing to man and to god not pleasing to God like, oh, they're such good little boys and girls. No, because you're enjoying the kingdom that Christ paid for. All right. Thank you.